Welcome to the 21st Century Schizoid Podcast, the world's most schizoid podcast. I'm your schizoid host, Cooper Cherry. We have uh, a return guest, a real treat. We have Jennifer Cox coming back. Um, listeners of the show might recall that Jennifer came on probably one of the earlier episodes and we did a, a sort of a live um, tarot card reading for me. So I definitely would encourage you to go back and listen. But uh, Jennifer is, she talks real good. <laughs> She real smart, so <laughs> it's it's awesome to have you on again, Jen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to bring you on because, you know, I, I feel like the show has lacked a lot of diversity in terms of having more female guests on, mm-hmm. and um, it's something that I'm really interested in getting a better perspective and grounding in is sort of feminist theory, and I know that that was sort of the focus of your collegiate studies. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I, the genesis of why I wanted to have you on. But I think we also kind of share a little bit of a similar background. And I think that might be the best place to start. And we'll kind of organically see how we can incorporate some theory and, you know, in, in true schizoid fashion, we can we can jump around to topics. Like that's, that's not a big deal if you have something that, you know, pops in your head that you really sure. want to dig into. So I'll, uh, I'll let you start off. Tell us a little bit about uh, what growing up was like. Like tell us what that environment was. Sure. So I grew up in Oklahoma and I grew up in like one of the larger towns in Oklahoma. So it doesn't really feel too rural anymore. Okay. But, um, my family definitely comes from like that country route. Right. Right. So I was definitely raised by the country, if not always in the country. Um, and you know, I was raised Southern Baptist. We moved around a little bit when I was younger. We moved to Louisiana and to San Antonio for a while because of my dad's job in Arkansas. So I've always lived in the South. And um, part of that was going to church like pretty much every day it was right. open. So yeah, same here. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I grew up in the like kind of both evangelical and Southern Baptist like kind of um, environment. Um, my mom was raised very religious, very Southern Baptist. My dad, like less so. Um, but when he married my mom, they kind of moved in that direction together towards like a more, more religious, um, like household. So, I mean, I was baptized when I was five. Um, let's see. I, you know, we went to church every day. It was in choirs and Sunday school, went to vacation Bible school over the summer. You know, it's just like you were there. The whole kind of nine. Yeah. Yeah. The whole nine. Like you were there all the time. Um, and if people have watched Jesus camp, (laughs) that's not too far (laughs) from, from what I grew up with. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that wild, but I recall like some of the similar, like kind of theatrics around educating children about heaven and hell and good and evil and all that kind of stuff. Like there were several plays. I remember one in particular, my sister was like pretty traumatized by where um, it was like really low budget. It was in the church itself, but um, you know, it would show these examples of people like right before they were about to die. And like, they didn't know it. Like someone was like in a car crash and then someone had like a drug overdose. It was like, just like all over the place. And it showed those people like, you know, receiving judgment, like going to heaven or hell. And there was this one particular example where this woman like, you know, was doing drugs. And then this, someone came in and shot her and her daughter and the daughter had gone to church. And so she was very religious, but the mom wasn't. And so it was showing them being pulled apart into heaven oh, wow. and hell. And really it was dramatically, like, huh? oh my gosh, it was just, <laughs> there were also strobe lights flashing and like heavy metal music playing when all of the demons came out of hell. And it was just like so over the top. And like, I remember just looking at it like horrified. And my poor sister was just like, her eyes were like 
so wide open and just like she had nightmares for days. So, I mean, this is, this is like, you know, not abnormal, right? Like, so yeah, this definitely. is like kind of where, where we're at, you know, um, grew up with a very strict idea about what gender should look like, what sexuality should look like. Um, the, I remember, you know, being taken to like an anti-abortion rally when I was really young and like being, Oh wow. They were really serious. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was like more serious than my parents. But I mean, I definitely grew up like, I guess homophobic. Um, probably not like, luckily I had a lot of friends that were Mexican. Like my grandfather had this ranch hand Mm -hmm. guy that he had hired, like they had fit like back in the sixties, they did like Mm -hmm. this covert things. Like, all right, they, he like snuck across the border somehow. And like, they met him in the woods and picked him up anyways. Like, so he ended up like coming over and like working for my grandfather and they had a whole family. So they had kids and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, I always had that like more diverse, I guess, background in terms of race a little bit. And then like my, my mom ended up her like second husband was actually an undocumented immigrant from, from Mexico too. So, you know, I have a half brother and half sister who, who are half Mexican. And then I've got some other cousins and whatnot that, so my family is a little bit diverse, particularly on my mother's side. So I think that, you know, I was probably still, and I, you know, probably to this day, like there's probably some elements of me that still like think of in that regard, mm-hmm. but I think I've made a lot of strides, I think particularly in the last four or five years on interrogating like different elements of like my own privilege and what mm-hmm. that's like. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a process. Um, but yeah, like from like growing up in like a very like white Christian environment, um, it was really funny because, you know, when I was about 13, uh, 12 or 13 is when I started to really like push back against being so religious. Right. Um, and I remember that we kind of like we moved back to Oklahoma and we like couldn't find a church that we really liked. So that like kind of set the stage. Like we stopped going to church as much. Um, but, you know, my sister, my mom, my dad were still very spiritual, very religious, you know. Um, there was a couple of Christmases where we would like light a candle for Jesus, <laughs> like for his birthday, like on a cupcake, you know, and, like sing happy birthday to Jesus. You know, like it was very like part of an everyday ritual, you know, like yeah. every day we were weaving in, you know, spirituality in some capacity. Sense, yeah. Um, but I remember reading a book called The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins, <laughs> Uh-oh. you know, so, <laughs> so let me just give the caveat that I think he's a total asshole and everything he's written past his biological kind of like gen, like the, the beginning of his like body of work where he was just, t- just talking about the science and like just talking about his background in science was fine. Right. But then once he became a professional atheist, he became like completely obnoxious and impossible to listen to for me. Um, but I remember reading that book. <laughs> I like, I, I guess I had an interest in science, you know? And so I was like picking up all these books about science when I was living with my grandparents. We were looking for a house in Oklahoma. They lived like down the street from a library. So I was at the library like every day. Like I had no friends. I just moved back to Oklahoma. Right. So um, we, it was the summertime. And so I would just walk over and get, you know, like check out a different book almost every day because I was just reading like constantly. And... I remember checking out that book and I remember reading like a chapter and then like looking up and seeing the world differently, you know, like it was just that intense. And I was just like, Whoa, I don't know what I think about anything anymore. You right. know, and I just had this like kind of huge reckoning. Um, 
And then maybe like a few months later when we like moved into our house, I remember having an argument with my dad about the Bible or something, you know, we were just got, got into it or something. And he was like, let's go for a drive. And I was like, Oh God. So <laughs> we went for a drive and you know, he was just like, you know, your mother and I are worried about your soul and we're worried about like the path you're going down and like, what are your friends like, you know, are they a bad influence <laughs> on you? And then like everybody I went to school with for the most part was Christian too. So it's like, it wasn't that. And I was just like, no, you know, I just don't know if I like, genuinely believe any of this stuff and like i'm just questioning it for myself you know and like we had this conversation and i was just like dad you know like the bible is just really getting me down like i just don't know um about all of the inconsistencies there if i can like put a lot of my faith in it and he was just like oh well you know just look at it like a like an allegory like a set of stories and it's like that is not how we were raised with the bible right, yeah it's like this is this is the word of god this there are the no inerrant, there are, yeah. <laughs> exactly there are no contradictions within this book whatsoever right. it is it is directly from the mouth of god like infallible every, everything and... is true you know and it's <laughs> exactly. like everything is literally true right and so i i i I said that I was like, dad, that's not how you have talked about this up to like this moment in yeah. time, like for the, like the last 13, 14 years of my life. Like that is not the conversation we've been having, but you could just tell he was trying to throw a hail, hail Mary. <laughs> he was just <laughs> like, yeah. And he was just like really trying to bring me back into the fold because my parents were like, you know, we've had conversations about this since like, as I've become like an adult and like more mature about it. Um, but at the time I was just like, you can't persuade me and like all this stuff. <laughs> right. So, Typical teenager kind of yeah, angsty. I mean, breaking out on my own. But, you know, that kind of like started, you know, like the, the, the idea that I was going to be different than like a lot of people in my family. And then I was going to like break out on my own. And up to that point too, it, I had already kind of like realized that like being straight was kind of complicated for me. And those were things that I really couldn't feel like I could talk about with my family. Yeah, so I already started to feel like that distance right. from them. And so I would say at around 13, 14 is when I started to really like notice and call out like the division between us and how I was going on like a very different path than they were. So. Nice. Yeah. I, I really don't feel like I, I mean, I sort of questioned things, but it wasn't much later until like high school. I was like, I don't know. I have these. I have these urges. I have, like these things feel good. Like it didn't make sense to me that things that felt good, like that God would sort of like make those things available to us, but then deny them. Like that just seemed like a weird inconsistency to mm -hmm. me. And that kind of was always bugging me about Christianity. But it really wasn't until I went to college and I think took my first sociology cl class that I really like had that sort of bubble. Right. totally burst and i really i didn't travel around as as much as you did i pretty much grew went to the same school my whole educational experience you know k through 12 wise and so it, it, when i really had that bubble burst it was i think kind of it was a traumatic time mm -hmm. honestly because i think right around the same time uh you know this was like 2001 and then september 11th was occurring mm -hmm. i was like out on my own it was a really crazy time and I was, it, I was really in a dark place in terms of right. <laughs> where I was, I think in an, from an existential s standpoint that I don't know if I've ever really recovered. It's, I've definitely gotten stronger since mm -hmm. then, but it was, it was really a difficult time for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. I wonder if you had the same experience that I did where you like, there was a couple of, I remember like a solid couple of months where I would like pray on a regular basis and be like, God, like, if this is legit, like, you need <laughs> help because, like, I'm doing my best, you know? And it's, like, I'm trying to remain open and, like, 
interested and like, you know, willing to go through the motions if like, I'm going to get, you know, that insight, you know, um, imparted on me in some way, shape or form, or like something's going to reveal itself to me or something's going to finally make sense, you know? And I kept like leaving room for that for a long time. Um, and I think I still kind of do on some level, like, it's really, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it's really hard to like, look at your family that feels like really grounded in ritual and like belief. Um, and to see the comfort that it can bring them and not wonder like, why can't I like access that like level of comfort, you know? But at the same time, like, I don't know, I had this conversation with my mom, like we finally got to a place where I could explain how I was feeling to her that made sense to her. I was like, mom, <laughs> like, I was like, you know, that feeling you have the relationship you have with God. Right. I was like, you know, that feeling inside. She's like, yeah, totally. I'm like, you know, that that connection that you have, right. You can feel it inside. Right. She's like, yeah, totally. I'm like, I don't have that. And she was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. You know, she like kind of got that. But then it quickly became like, oh, I'm so sorry that you are without that. And it's either because I'm obstinate and can't open myself up to it, or I am like diseased or defective in some way. And like, that is not available to me, you know? Right. And so it's never, it's never okay, but at least I'm not, you know, kind of cornered once a year and proselytized <laughs> to anymore. Yeah. So... Um, for me, it was like, I always say it's kind of like being plugged into the matrix. You know what I mean? It's sort of that like embryonic state of, oh, you're just like this warm, glowing mm -hmm. love of God and whatnot. But I, I think it extends even further just to like the small town sort of environment that I grew up in. I feel like all of the, you know, the ideology of the American dream and, and things like that. And if you worked hard and you went to college and you did all of this stuff, you, life would be great. Like you would, there would be, there was a completeness and wholeness that you could have. And, and Christianity was a large part of that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, and I think maybe that's a, that's been a sense of, I think, anger over the course of my life is that I feel like all the stuff that I was taught growing up about not only God, but about American, what have you, is just a, a load of bullshit. Mm -hmm. And it really brings a lot of resentment out in me, I think, towards maybe my specifically maybe my father more so than than my mother um but that's kind of where i stand and yeah i definitely it's like i sometimes yearn for that like simple like black and white narrative of the world and instead of this like really unstable picture that i have and mm -hmm. i really fell into trying to create some kind of purely rational system for behaving in life and like figuring out okay if i figure out how you know what what free will is and how that actually works if i fill out figure out what ontological system mm -hmm. that i can follow you know what i mean i can construct this kind of rational way mm -hmm. of behaving because how i mean without god mm -hmm. without something to base it on how do you how do you operate mm -hmm. especially as chaotic as things have become certainly sure i know that that's something that my girlfriend and i talk about a lot because she's currently um, her uncle is like very deeply like spiritual and religious and they talk and like do Bible study together just because she's like interested in like reconnecting with her family. And this was like a way for them to reconnect and for her to like kind of engage with him in like terms of like engaging the Bible as text and like as history, because she's like very, she, you know, history is part of her educational background and she's like very deeply interested right. in being like, you know, thinking like a historian and so we get to have these really rich conversations about exactly that thing. Um, That's cool. And 
you know, about the text and about like what it means and what it's all about. Um, what its historical situation was, like what ideas like come with it, you know, and like kind of push it into the next generation. Um, what sort of sets of assumptions you have to have to kind of like walk to the next step when it comes to a lot of the things that he was talking to us about. Like, you know, he was asking that, that same question, like, you know, how do you operate if you don't have, you know, kind of a spiritual guideline um, or some sort of yeah, some type of moral code or exactly. Yeah. Or how do you derive, like, how do you derive something that's, I guess, comprehensive and works in all situations, Sure. which is like, I feel like, you know, the more and more I got into looking into postmodern ideas and, and things that, you know, I feel like I'm at the point now to where I don't think that's, this is not possible simply like we are just not like, we're kind of we're monkeys mm -hmm. trying to figure this thing out, but there's no, there's no way to escape sort of the prison of, of our own language mm -hmm. and really touch and interact with like a real reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, I, I'm persuaded by a lot of those ideas. Like, I think that I have often described myself in terms of, like, nihilism. Oh, you yeah, know? me too. I mean, I think that's where I'm at, honestly. Right. And I'm trying, I mean, that's, like, the goal is to overcome that somehow. Right. Well, that's that's the thing I'd love to talk about because I don't think, I mean, I think that the people that I've read that make an argument in a case for nihilism doesn't necessarily have to be, like, the negative that it connects, right. you know? That it can actually... Um, come with it a lot of freedom and, yeah. it, and just like a lot of like less fewer constraints on like what I mean because when I think about like what informs my morality because like I don't know like I think people who know me know like I've got a lot of strong opinions like I've got a strong idea about the way things ought to be um and that's just like that that there's a bit of self-righteousness that comes from being southern baptist that's like <laughs> right, yeah. I'm never gonna get over you know like that that's baked into me like no matter what um but I think that it comes from, like, lots of different places, right? So, like, you and I both grew up in a, you know, late-stage capitalism, United States of America, right? So, like, that informs our social, like, our social situation. Like, we cannot detach ourselves from that, no matter what we say or do, right? And so that informs, like, the things that I value. So valuing things like freedom and autonomy, like are situated in a time and place, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's one thing, right? Kind and of then, a materialistic or materialist. Yes. So that's like that's like one thing. And like individualism too, you know, and like thinking of yourself more as an individual rather than like connected to a group. Like that that is because of like the time and the place in which we were raised, right? And so another piece of that is, you know, I don't want to discount biology and like what it prompts us to do. Like you know, it's better for our survival to act synergistically and altruistically with other human beings because we're social creatures. And so being an asshole and alienating yourself from everybody is like really detrimental to your survival. You know, like it just doesn't make any sense. And so you've got some sort of biological um, vote in the direction of treating other people well, right? Because it means that you'll have the social network and resource network that you need to survive, you know? So that that's part of it. And then another part of it comes from like experience, you know, it comes from, you know, this more like this less tangible idea of being a person with like ideas and a moral code or a moral compass, like something that pushes you in a feeling of like, this is right or good or fair or just. Um, and for me, something that constantly guides me is when looking into chaos, it's 
do I move arbitrarily or do I move with intention? And I'm always trying to center myself around move with intention, like be intentional. Like even if it's unpopular or even if it's difficult, like be intentional, like don't let things just happen. Like don't be just constantly reactive to things and, you know, take ownership and responsibility for the reality you're trying to create for yourself and others. And that sort of thinking lends me to the kind of feminism that I'm about being vegan, you know, all of those like kind of like other ideas that are wrapped up in my identity and the way that I articulate myself as a lesbian, like it's all about being intentional and not reactive. Can you ground that in a, maybe a, a specific example to just to illustrate that? Sure. And bring it home for us. Yeah. So I think that being vegan is like the easiest way for me to like kind of talk about that kind of stuff because people ask me a lot, like what persuaded you to, you know, make this decision? Because it's like in January, I've been vegan for 10 years. So that's like not a small, <laughs> not a small commitment, right? <laughs> and so, and it's so funny because, you know, humans are creatures of habit. Like once you start doing something, it's like a lot easier to keep doing it, right? Like it would be harder for me to go out of my way to like eat meat at this point because it's just so ingrained yeah, in me right. now. Um, but when I was thinking about making those decisions, you know, that was at a time when I was in college and was surrounded by and like very influenced by like environmental feminism and like interrogating the relationship between what we view as consumable. Um, and so thinking about like women as like objects of consumption was like a very big topic, you know, that I was wrestling with in my studies. Um, and so like talking about consumption and what that means and like what is considered an object and what is considered a subject. And so when you start breaking down those barriers, you start to realize that the di the division between human and non-human is a lot more gray than right. people would like to admit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Which is fine. I mean, this is, these are all culturally specific. Like these are just like where, I mean, like I was talking to my, my girlfriend about this when we first started dating, you know, because she grew up on a farm in Brazil. Like her relationship to animals is very different from me, like a white girl from the middle of the country <laughs> who like bought her meat at the store, you know? Like it's right. just like, I have, I have entered into this relationship from a different point than she did, you know? And so my, my particular moral obligation is going to look different um, because I entered into the relationship at a different point. Um, I entered into the, to the relationship in a, the least intentional way possible. You know, like we, we structure, especially how I saw myself, like structured in my choices with food as like, don't think about it, you know, like have no thought about like what you're consuming or why, um, just go towards what like feels good, but also what keeps you skinny. And like, that's like, <laughs> that's like what, you know, as a woman, like learning how to eat and like make food choices, like that's what it's usually like revolves right. around. Exactly. The pressure of <laughs> these, uh, I guess images, especially. Right. And so, you know, that's very based in like middle being middle-class and white, right? Like, you know, like that's where that comes from. Um, but when I started to think about like, what would an intentional relationship with food look like and what would an intentional relationship with consumption look like, you know, I was so deeply moved by the subjectivity of non-human animals and to like, see that they like suffered like I did, um, that they communicate with each other in a way that is outside of my understanding that they live lives. And I love this quote. I mean, it's the beginning of earthlings, but I can't remember who said it but it's like noticing that animals are like other nations. Like they are living on their own plane in their own planet almost. And like, who am I to presume that I can interfere with that? Basically, it's like, what makes me get, what gives me the right to interfere? Um, and I couldn't satisfactorily answer that question, you know? So it's like, at the end of the day, I was like, okay, so like the logical like end point of this argument is, 
I sh- like to be intentional with non-human animals, I should not use them for consumption. Um, and so that's what kind of like helped me make that decision um, when I was like 21 um, or 20. Yeah, 20. Um, and so it'll be 10 years in January. And it's just, it, and that's like, so yeah, like I, I always bring it down to the root of, is this action based on an intentional relationship with this thing? And if it's not, then I need to make a different choice. And like, I'm just the way I am kind of personality wise. Like I cannot hide from myself. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I can't like, like every day I have to be able to look myself in the mirror and be okay with it. And that's what's make pushes me to be so rigorous with myself, like emotionally and spiritually and like, um, ethically and morally like it just like I could let myself off the hook a lot if I wanted um like anybody can or I could push myself to never do that whenever I possibly can um and to keep pushing myself to interrogate everything and to be um as intentional as possible or if I chose not to make an intentional decision that that was a choice you know that I made and that I would be okay with the consequences of you know, and it's like that, that, that level of ownership, I think that's really critical to like the way I look at my life. That's interesting. I kind of want to go back to just a little bit about, you know, you were talking about a little bit how I guess sort of Christianity impacted your moral framework. Mm -hmm. And I think it's actually, it's pretty ironic, even though that I am, I guess, I don't know if I'd call myself a nihilist, but I mean, it's probably, that's about as close as you would come to classifying where I am today but I think it's funny because my you know I I sort of live in bad faith in the sense that my moral sense is probably more in line with the actual Christian still like Mm -hmm. that's still sort of where a lot of my morality is grounded Mm -hmm. Um, and just caring for other people and like I think ultimately recognizing that we're all suffering in some existential way like we're all trapped in this brain that we can't really ever escape and really connect with another, you know, person's experience. Like, you know, how how do you know that you're ever really on that same level? You can't really experience that pain or see the world from someone else's perspective as much as you can try, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's probably like, that's kind of what how I try to structure my interactions with others. And I think that's probably the best, like, baseline you can come up with for like a broader social or societal movement is to just recognize that we're all humans and we all share like the human experience and that can be that can be where we all intersect you know what I mean at the most basic level mm-hmm. um, so I think that's just to inform you a little bit about kind of my moral grounding but I also wanted to mention a couple of things just about like the whole judeo-christian concept and how it sort of ties into you know, objectifying women and mm-hmm. um, other, you know, other animals that we consume in the sense that, you know, the whole doctrine being that, like, the earth and animals are all under our dominion mm-hmm. as humans and that the man is the center of the household. And that, like, those two ideas sort of are fundamental structures undergirding Western civilization and capitalism and even, I guess, pre- really pre-capitalism. Mm-hmm. They've probably outdated, you know, that's been around longer than... Oh, yeah than modern capital misogyny has like a long long history (laughs) yeah i i remember one of the first arguments i got into with my mom 
was about what the word help meet meant because that's how a woman's relationship to man is described in the Bible is that you were a help meet or help mate, like depending on the translation that you look at. And I'm like, what does that mean? You know, like I just asked my mom, like in my grandma point blank one day, like, what does this mean? And they were like, you know, we're created from the rib of Adam. And so <laughs> we are here to like supplant and like help and like contribute to. And I'm like, what am I contributing to? Like, why am I not the contribute? Like, wh- why, why is there like someone who's responsible and owns things? And then there's someone who comes through the side as like your backup. Cause that's what it feels like being a woman means. And they'd be like, oh no, well, it's not like that. And I'm like, okay, well then what is it? <laughs> and they struggled, you know, to kind of explore like what that meant because, you know, even in their own relationships, like being incredibly strong people and having to, you know, go through the cycles of poverty, both like my mom and my grandmother and like bring their families out of that, you know, as much as possible. Um, and the work that they both did, you know, emotionally, like physically, like out in the world, like holding down just like really demanding jobs. My grandmother at one point worked three jobs because she had divorced like my abusive grandfather. And, you know, it's just like they, even though their life experience up to that point has proven that they were like, they were the rock of the family. Like they were the center. Like they were the one making everything happen. They were the one protecting their kids. You know, they were the one preventing men from taking advantage of their children. You know what I mean? Like it's like, even though the proof in their own lives was that they were the ones that were responsible for everything good that had happened up to this point, they still saw themselves as secondary, um, which to me was just like crushing. <laughs> right. I can <laughs> just imagine. So crushing. And like, I, I was not satisfied by that. You know, I was completely unsatisfied with that. And so that's what really pushed me, um, in college to kind of like explore more like theoretical explorations of like the feelings I was feeling. And so it's like, that's what I love about, um, feminism. It's like everybody's experienced something that feminism describes. It's just that the feminist theory is just like an academic way of exploring the same idea that women right. explore and like people explore on a regular basis. Yeah. You know? But they just don't call it that. They just yeah. don't call it that. Or it's just like, there it's not like the things that feminist theory describes don't happen on a regular basis. It's just that the language and the setting may be different. Um, which is why when people say, Oh, I'm not a feminist or I'm this and that, or, you know, I don't believe in this type of stuff. It's like, that's not how it works. (laughs) You know, like you, you may not, you may not, you know, label yourself as a feminist, which is something different entirely. Right. Like using that as kind of like, an ornament on your personal identity label is like one thing. Right. But like understanding what feminism is talking about or like acting in feminist ways, even if you never called it feminism, those would still, those things would still be true. Right. So that's kind of where I land with that. Uh, That kind of brings up two interesting things. And one that I sort of realization that I just came to from reading the other day and I guess the first point being like this whole, like the whole Judeo-Christian concept is, you know, there's, God is a masculine figure and then you have Adam and Eve and sort of the, the sin or the temptation comes via the woman. Right. And we're all like, so we're all like sinners through Eve and just like how that sort of sets up the, I mean, it definitely ties into like the idea of a philogocentric mm-hmm. view, viewpoint of the world and whatnot. That's, you know, obviously one of the, again, one of the, fundamental structures of western civilization but also 
the more interesting thing about how a lot of what they I would I don't even have a good way to describe this other than in air quotes women's work like domestic work has sort of been that's been quarantined off from like the rest of productive work right Mm -hmm. that's been something that like oh it's like it's expected like you know no nobody's like you're not remunerated for your that's just like an expectation is that the woman is going to have this domestic sphere where she has to do this 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 and the child rearing and be sort of you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and that's something that hasn't been rewarded by society it's only been like the more masculine production end of it especially once we hit the industrial revolution right and i love the way that like late stage capitalism is like dealing with this right now because you think about task rabbits or like uber and you know like all of these other things that are meant to make living your life easier like with all of these kind of like the drudgery you know right, like kind chores. of the service the, the booming service economy yes for sure it, it which is so funny because it's still like women are still shafted like when capitalism's like brought like domesticity and domestic work into something that's like worth something you know like worth like value like women are still devalued and and that's what's so interesting is that it's not necessarily the work it's the position of womanhood that right. is devalued. And so whatever womanhood touches will automatically be devalued regardless of what it is. Right. So like computer science, even like beginning from, you know, like very like a woman oriented, like, um, field, like computer programming, like the mathematical kind of like computational, um, human work before like technology, like really caught up with what we needed it to be. Um, was considered woman's work and was therefore devalued. But then as soon as it became more valuable because of the prestige of technology, it becomes masculine. Right. And now the tables have turned and like women actually earn way less in those fields and are like way less valued and their history way less valued. So you see that with like movies like Hidden Figures. Definitely, and then like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it, 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 especially when you fold race into it too, it's just like um, these things become completely invisible. Um as they be as they gain prestige um so it's it's such an interesting complex and i wanted Definitely. to i wanted to pick up something else that you said too about the way that like um christianity has kind of like interpreted um like gender from a very early stage like even in its origin stories right so like god is this masculine figure um and i think an author you might like is luce rigore um she was one of my favorites um talking about the way that language is structured. Um, so like even in using the term, like, cause people don't use like a feminine pronoun and talk about God. Like it seems yeah, never, unusual right? and strange, very, right? Very true. Like you're making like a political statement if you say that, right? And it's like, oh, okay, well that must mean that like maleness and God is natural. Like it, right. feels, yeah, like exactly. the, it feels like the natural combination. And so Um, when you think about like what language allows you room for, like, you know, you've mentioned this a couple of times about like the prison of like, like language is something that I really love, um, that my like kind of feminist academic inquiry has like kind of led me into is talking about language and the constraints that it like puts up around gender and the way it helps us articulate gender or doesn't help us articulate gender because gender is like, you know, really complicated. And the idea that, like Eve and like even temptation in and of itself, like the idea of temptation has got this like very sexual connotation to it. And right, the snake imagery too, which seems sure. weird, right? That's weird. Yeah, and like <laughs> the, the right? apple or the pomegranate, you know, like it's very like based in fertility and like all of this stuff. And so I'm sure that like 
people who are more familiar with like the historical like symbology of like all the stuff are like going to say this a lot smarter than I would, but you know, it's, it like, isn't too hard to like realize or think about how like, this is very much like a sexual allegory that like Eve with her like feminine ways, like ruined everything. Right. Exactly. And like, that's the logic that justifies like the violence against women that we've seen like over time, you know, it's like if women are responsible for like the downfall of man and like that there's something baked into our like biology or like our existence that makes it so then we become scapegoats, like physical scapegoats for, um, all of the, the pain, all of the existential pain. And so it's like, like, dude, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, you almost want to like talk to men sometimes be like, dude, I get it too. Like we're all suffering here, but like, it's not my fault. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and, and, and being a woman, I don't know if everyone would feel this way, but at myself as a woman, you really are led to believe that a lot of things are your fault um, when they're not. And like, that's just like the way of existing through the world. Like you constantly have to apologize for everything, no matter if you have any connection to it whatsoever. And that, that like that constant need to apologize, I think is very deep um, because you, you at some point are just apologizing for existing. Right. Um, and that's a pretty tough way to live, you know? Absolutely. And just to like, I guess, tack on the points of like, what do we call like the you, the you man race, mm-hmm. mankind, mm-hmm. things like that. You're just so, like, you know, a lot of people bitch about micro, the whole concept of like a microaggression. But I mean, I think that what you call things and I mean, this stuff absolutely has a, has a concrete, like, yeah. like a result, right? Where, I mean, and sort of, we are born into these kind of structures and they can be oppressive and people are so immersed in it. I mean, if you think about, you know, someone like myself being raised in that, uh, in that Christian fundamentalist tradition, like those ideas are baked in, like before you're even in school is like this, this viewpoint Mm -hmm. very subtly. Right. Right. I mean, you see it like gender and those ideas, like regardless of even your faith tradition are like, especially in our particular, like American context are like, very quickly, you know, introduced into the brain and introduced into the mind. Even the, yeah, colors that they dress kids in Mm -hmm. or toys and all of that stuff. Even before, again, these are like super, like you're like probably your earliest memory is like your parents are pushing on this whole gender identity onto you or in this whole set of like signs and what have you. Right. And, and also like, I don't know, I didn't have a ton of hair when I was born, and my mom told me constantly that she had to put bows in my hair so people wouldn't call me a boy, <laughs> as if calling me a boy would have been a disaster, right? Like, as if, like, a child, infant would care one shit about, like, right. what, you know what I mean? Like, it, when you think about it, it just doesn't make any right. sense. Right, it's so weird. It's really bizarre. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and that's what I love about, you know, I'm sure I'm going to... I'm going to get told that I'm talking about Judith Butler wrong because that's like one of the, the funniest parts of being a, being in feminist academia is that everyone always accuses everyone of reading Judith Butler wrong. But I mean, not only do you not have a chance because like as even as an infant, you are gendered, but when we speak, like when we exist, the space in which we are existing, like the soup that we're in is already gendered. So there's really nothing... There's no space outside of gender, just as there's no space outside of capitalism or outside of racism. Like it is, it is the, it is the water we're swimming in. Right. right? And it's like, there is no, there's no way around it or outside of it. And so 
when you think about it that way, you begin to understand that the way that you were taught language and the language that you speak itself, like the way that your brain relates to the world around it. Um, and the kind of the, the sensory input that you're getting is already gendered, always already gendered, like the body always already gendered, even though bodies and gender are extremely complex. And there's like a ton of variety, um, especially biologically speaking, like the human body does not just come in like one or like when it comes to like gender and sex organs, there's not just one of two options. Like you actually, there's a ton of diversity in hormones, organs, structures, visually speaking, what it looks like, you know, like there's like a ton of variety. Um, and we have created like an artificial boundary where if this many things occur, then we're going to put you in the woman category. And if this many things occur, you're going to be put in the male category, but that doesn't, that that's arbitrary. Like that's right. an arbitrary decision that we have made. And it's also one that has historically changed over time, which is what like really blows my mind that people when they don't think about things historically, like they don't understand that these were decisions that were made, you know, and it's not like it just kind of happened upon us. Um, this was something that we have co-created um, along with other systems to create the result that we have today. So what that means, and that's where I find hope, honestly, is like what that means is if, if something has a history, then that means it will have a future, right? And if something has a beginning point, that means it can have an ending point. Um, so it's not like a thing that has existed for all time and there's nothing we can do about it. There's actually a lot we can do about all of these sorts of things. Like it doesn't have to like paralyze you into like inaction or like thinking that like nothing can happen or nothing can change. I think it's important to recognize that changing things can be quite slow when they're so interlocked and interlaced and like so permeated in everything that we do. Um, but there are small even like discursive protests that you can make um, throughout the day or throughout your life that can like open the chink in the armor a little bit um, and do what can be what's called in many in many different like schools of thought as like magical thinking or um, like queer nihilism or you know ideas like that 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 imagine a world outside of these things and 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 do small acts to like kind of break open the little pieces where you could see that future without all of this bullshit <laughs> you know i think that's kind of an interesting concept and it kind of reminds me of i think something i've always like i've always had this sort of deconstruction deconstructionist streak in me that i you know i, I didn't call it that right? right but like your example of like you've already been thinking these things like in terms of a feminist conception of of reality or what have you but it's like it's like i've already had this thinking like I always cause I, like I always wanted to like appear one way but kind of fuck with people by you know what I mean because it's like I look like I don't know you might call me a bro or mm -hmm. or what have you but if you dig like a little bit deeper like oh whoa that's totally not this person or like I, I love to kind of I've always enjoyed that kind of like presenting one thing and then like subverting people's expectations of sort of who you are because mm -hmm. like you know I'm pretty well read ish mm -hmm. <laughs> pseudo, pseudo intellectual at the at the very least but yeah you know i've got tattoos and blah 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 but i kind of look like a traditional like male it's mm -hmm. i don't know yeah it can get i thought that was kind of a funny thing yeah or fun thing to fuck with people it is and it's and it's even funnier um like i think about that self myself in that way in terms of being like a, a slightly feminine version of a lesbian you know it's <laughs> like 
And, and there were times, I guess, in my past where um, I looked and presented a lot more androgynous than I do now. Um, and, and that just speaks to like it being just at my whim, you know, and at my will that I, I like the idea of being creative with self-expression and gender is a form of self-expression. And so you can, you have a lot more ability to manipulate it than you think you do. Um, I mean, people should do whatever they feel is comfortable, but for some, there is a lot of comfort in experimentation and a lot of joy and like interest in experimentation and like kind of like moving, moving the needle, like, you know, around or like even moving it like in one direction, um, that there's a lot of enjoyment in that. And I think it's really funny now. I mean, I used to be really hung up on the idea that pe I wanted people to recognize me as like gay, like out in the world. Um, and then I quickly got over that <laughs> because I mean, there wasn't, there was only like a month where I felt that way. I feel like when I, when I started to get kind of immersed in this like particular circle, but at the end of the day, like people know there's something off, you know what I mean? Like when people interact with me, they, they know that there's something off about me and they probably can't put their finger on it. If I'm like not with my girlfriend or like if I don't, if it doesn't come up, you know? Um, but you can tell with the way it, it's really funny. Me and my friend used to talk, my old roommate used to talk about this, um, that men will ignore you so much that they like run into you more <laughs> than, um, they, like, she even remembers like a time when she and her friend and this guy were like walking down a sidewalk and this guy was like clearly interested in her friend. Um, and like totally not interested in, in my roommate because she was a lesbian. She like didn't, you know, was not someone he could like press for interest, right. <laughs> you know? And so there were, she said, she noticed many moments where he would like run her off the sidewalk um, and just be like completely oblivious to her huh. existence. And it, it's, it's so funny because I've also experienced that same thing where you just kind of like get run out of the way or run off the sidewalk or completely ignored. Um, especially if the situation itself is like more sexually charged, like if you're like out dancing or whatever, or like you're at the club, you know, like whatever these situations where like there's an, a high expectation for people to like find partners. Right. And once you present yourself as like unavailable because of your being, uh, because of being a lesbian, it's almost like you cease being a person <laughs> like, or cease being like an object of interest for a lot right. of men, which is really funny. Um, which to my, it's to my benefit because I, I tend to not like 98%, you know, like, especially in those contexts, but it's, it's so funny. It's just so funny how those things like come, come to life in really subtle ways that you can't not notice, you know, it's like, you can't not recognize like what's happening. Um, so yeah. I think that's interesting. And just looking at my own experience, it's like, it was so you know, I guess I, and plus I've been in a lot of hyper-masculine groups and I, you know what I mean? Like playing sports as a kid and in high school. And then like, believe it or not in, in college, I was in a fraternity. I mm -hmm. was like the, I was in a sorority. I was, <laughs> I was the president of a fraternity. So like the most hyper-masculine, mm -hmm. like toxic masculine environment that you could be, but it's always been like any kind of like effeminate behavior or weakness or anything you know that's considered like a bad thing that has to be like totally crushed out of you and if you're like show it like there you know what i mean there's mm -hmm. very much this reinforcing this idea of like i don't of just being very stoic and like you can't express any kind of you know what i mean that's so like uh so anathema mm -hmm. to the masculine identity right 
and I even wonder too, like, I feel like I'm super, like, I'm, I feel like maybe my, in terms of the sexuality spectrum, like I'm super hetero leaning, but I wonder, like, I, I feel like if I had grown up in a different environment, like, I'm, I wonder, like, maybe I wouldn't have this, like, just like sort of gut reaction against, cause I just think, just happen to think that men's bodies are just gross like even my own I'm just like it's so gross <laughs> well I think that I think that there's like when you think about sexuality yeah like there's that that wide spectrum of experience too um and like your environment can definitely like push you in one direction or another for sure I mean I was in the closet for like a really long time because like I lived in a conservative religious household in the yeah, middle of right. Oklahoma like being a lesbian was not an option like you know you Absolutely. this was not something that you were allowed to do and and there were times when that started to kind of bubble up to the surface and it was immediately squashed back down and my yeah. parents would basically be like do you have it under control and it's like <laughs> yes you know like that's the only right uh, answer terrible <laughs> and yeah it's it's awful um and you know I definitely made it out even a lot better than some of my friends you know who were like their, their physical safety was constantly at risk because of that. And I mean, mine was at times, but never to the level that some of my friends were like, I even like escaped like a lot of that. Um, but you can't help, but like realize that when you walk down the street and people are just hassling you that like any moment could tip the scale, you know, and like could switch from someone just hack, hack, like heckling you, which is already like really unpleasant to right. begin with yeah, exactly. and like terrible. And no one should have to like experience that to like pushing it into like, Oh, I must fear for, I have to fight for my life right now. Or like, I have to fight for like my safety, which is like, not, not okay. You know? And it's just like that kind of like constant psychic fear is extremely damaging. Um, and very emotionally, like, you know, it completely emotionally stunts you, you know, and like prevents you from like wanting to reach out and like be open with people. And you can right. only find these like small enclaves where you're allowed to be yourself and allowed to be like, you know, free. And like, that's the only time when you can really form like genuine, like authentic connection to people is when you can feel free, you know, to be yourself. And so, um, I mean, I think that it's really interesting when I think about myself in terms of being a lesbian and it's like, how long was I a lesbian and when did I know? And like right, all yeah. this stuff. People I'm, I'm actually kind of, I'm kind of curious. Yeah. It's a very interesting development. Um, so I think that I was always a lesbian. Like I dated men in my past. I was even engaged to one for a while. Um, because again, like I lived in an environment yeah. where being I mean, that's wasn't like, an option. So right? it's like, it, that's a, a really common thing for a lot of lesbians is to is to have some sort of interaction with men because part of being a woman is yeah, interacting exactly. with men. You yeah. know, like that is baked into the idea right. of being a woman. We're immersed in that. Like that's yeah. the immersion. Like if not, you know, there's something wrong with you, right? Yeah. If oh, you're deeply, not. deeply wrong with you. Like you must be mentally unhinged, you know? And there's like this, this extreme pressure um, to conform in that way, especially when it comes to like dating and like, talking about your interests and your likes and your dislikes and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it has to be completely centered around men. Otherwise you're a total freak. And I remember moments in the, in school when that would come up, um, where I would definitely get the wrong answer <laughs> and people would react extremely strongly, you know, and I would almost be like socially, there were many times when I was like almost completely socially ostracized. And then you learn from that reaction to just shut up about it, you know, just stop talking about it. 
and to just kind of squash it down further and further and, right. and try not to engage with that feeling. And that's, that's like the toxicity of like internalized homophobia. And then you start to like really hate yourself. And, and there's all of that like kind of wrapped up into it. And I definitely went through that um, when I was in high school and college, you know, I would say that like, I was like maybe seven or eight when I started to realize that like I related to women differently, you know, than like I think my peers did. And then when I was like 13 or 14, I was like, okay, like, I know I'm not straight, but like, I can't even go there. Right. And then it wasn't until I was outside of my parents' house that I was allowed to like, kind of like say that out loud. Um, and so that's kind of when I came out was like that 18, 19, 20 range when I was starting to kind of like be more verbal about what that meant. Um, but even then couldn't pursue like actual relationships with women until I was like 21. So it like took time for me to like go on this journey of like self-acceptance and self like discovery and then get to a point where, you know, cause you even, I mean, I, I think a lot of lesbians experience this too. I mean, I can only speak from this like perspective, but, um, you start to think like, okay, like I, I'm sexually attracted to women, which is fine. Like that's whatever, you know, I'm just really open-minded. Like that's, that's, that's just me. I'm just really open-minded <laughs> and like, you know, this could be something that I just like, experience, but I could never have a relationship with a woman. You know, like I always would say that like, Oh, I I could, I could never date a woman. I could never like, you know, marry a woman like that can never happen. And it's so funny. It's because I look back and I'm like, it's because you didn't think it was possible. It's because you, you weren't given an opportunity. And as soon as I was given the opportunity, it was like, Oh my God, this is like the rightest thing I've ever done. (laughs) You know, like this is what love means. Like this is what all of the songs are written about. This is what all the <laughs> movies are written about. You know, it's like you have that moment where you're like, oh, that's the feeling that I yeah. was looking for. Nice. Um, so that was kind of like my journey and my experience with it. But when I look back, even though I dated men and like said I was straight in the past, you know, obviously like I was coerced, you know, like I was coerced by my environment. And so I, I don't feel like that was honest or genuine. And so I think of myself as being a lesbian this whole time just taking a while like many people do to like get there yeah i mean i think definitely i can i can sort of relate in i guess in a different regard in terms of like you know because i never really even considered so many things and just to go back to like even when you were talking about veganism earlier and it's like i never even until fairly recently considered the amount like the cost of my existence my consumption of animals and things like that so that you know what i mean it's like I, it's something that i never even questioned like right. it wasn't even like the it was beyond the bounds of my ability to even think about because right. i hadn't even like it was so outside of whatever you're sort of this I, i've often used this metaphor of it's like an operating system so mm-hmm. like it's like you're born in the u.s like you get this operating system right. this is what you can do but it's like this is like a hack into that where you're opening up, okay, there's another, like, there's another workspace Mm -hmm. out here that's available to me. That's a totally different perspective. Right. I like to think of, I I think similarly, I think of like operating systems and like what we're like, kind of like programmed to almost to do. But I also like to think of it, like there are times when you like bust open a trap door and like you see like a totally different level. And it's like becoming like lifting up off of a page, like becoming from 2D to 3D, you know, it's like that big of a difference when you start to open up space like that. And I, I've had that experience many times in my life. You know, I, I think 
the minute that I put that book down that I was reading and like didn't know if I believed in God anymore it was like one of those moments where I was right. like, whoa, trapdoor just like bust <laughs> open and like I see like a totally different, I see a totally different world and I can't unsee it, you know? And then that's when you get to a point where you're like, no longer can I just treat that like, oh, a funny idea that I had once right. and like just put it away. It's like, oh no, like my brain's going to go there and there's nothing that's going to stop it. And it's like, it's, it's, it's funny in that way, but I think, um, that's what I, that's what I think is for me, like the most authentic way to live is like constantly asking yourself, like, what am I not thinking of? Right. Like, what am I not considering? Like what perspective am I not looking at? You know, how am I wrong? Like, I think that like constantly asking yourself, like, could I be wrong or how am I wrong right now is such a healthy way to like live. And I feel like I've gotten like, I've improved as a person. Like I see myself improve as a person when I'm in that space. And then like when I shut that space off and then just keep thinking about, well, how am I right about this is when I go towards like a less, like the version of myself that I like the least. Right. And it's like, when I want to push myself to the version I like the most, it's, you know, how am I wrong? What am I not thinking of? What perspective am I not considering? You know, what do I almost like an agnosticism and it's just like an acceptance. It's like, there's a lot about other people in their inner states that I'm never going to understand. And like, you just, you just have to like make peace with that and like get it. And, and know that because of that means that people demand a lot more respect than I think that is natural to give, um, or feels like our society is like structured to like give people like more credit, I guess, for like their interior space, which is why I know we kind of talked about like right before the podcast started about these like kind of like alt-right websites who like deeply hate identity politics and stuff like that. And they just talk about how absurd it is. You know, like they talk about how absurd people with like X number of identity labels is. And it's like, well, if we want to talk about like what's politically effective, like that's a different conversation. But if you want to talk about like the depth and diversity of human experience, it's like, fuck you. Like who, why do you care? You know, it's like, why do you care if someone relates to the world in a deeply nuanced way or a deeply specific way, as long as it's not hurting anyone or anything, like, why don't you just leave them alone? You know? And it's just like that, that to me, like the desire to control the way others perceive their own existence. is like uh, extremely right. scary. <laughs> I definitely agree. Especially like this, you know, there's a lot of conflation between gender and sex mm-hmm. and people like are always like, you know, Oh, it's, you're a man. If like, why do you have to be a man? You know what I mean? It seems kind of just, it's so stupid to me that like, oh no, you're this, you have a penis. That means you must be a man. Mm-hmm. You have breasts, that are, you know, you have to be a woman. Yeah. I, that's it. Like yeah. that's the end of story. And they're so like offended by this other idea. But where I, I think it gets kind of tricky and I don't even know what where I would stand on this, but it's like when you get to the point of someone like the Rachel Dolezal that's mm-hmm. like trying to take on this black identity for herself, that seems, I mean, it's sort of like on the same lines as that, but it seems a little bit weird. Like it seems it, that's an awkward perspective. Like that's right. kind of like trying to own some, like, like only a privileged person coming from a sp- space of privilege would even think that was, you know, yeah. does that make sense? It does. It does. And I think like for her specifically, like why she's different, you know, like why there isn't such a thing called transracial in the way that there is transgender, like speaking specifically in this context, because I mean, there like there, there's an idea of being transracial 
in terms of like being like a transracial adoption, like being adopted into like a different um, cultural kind of environment, racial environment, and like yeah, that's true. the struggles of that. That's something different, right? Yeah, like for what sure. she's talking about is that she could adopt an identity right. and like attain an identity and and like you know physically modify herself enough to like get away with it, right? And it's just like, well, like when you think about race. And, like, ethnic identity, like, that's deeply attached to, like, history, culture, environment, and family. You know, like, those are not things that you can just put on your body to change. True. Like, that comes from, like, race is different from gender in that way, that it comes from a different genesis. It's, they're very connected, you know, like, they, they interact with each other in very complex ways. And there are nuanced ways to understand both gender and race through each other's lenses, you know what I mean? Um, but for her to say, or for people, for her supporters, or, you know, for like the people who like support that to think that like, that like you can, you can have the same level of experimentation with race as you do with gender is to misunderstand like where those two things come from and like their history. Um, and that to me is like the biggest, you know, the biggest error in thinking is to think that because they are related concepts must mean I can be as cavalier with both of them as I'd like. Right. And like you just said that like only a privileged person would feel like no risk to being cavalier, you know, with like those sorts of things. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. At the, at the same time, it's the, like, I sort of, I guess I'm such an iconoclast when it comes to like the status quo. Like I just, I don't know. I find myself, I guess maybe it's just I'm like a self-loathing white person in many regards because I don't like the idea of a lot of like white culture is really super fucking boring Mm -hmm. and lame. I think like like khakis and and shit like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just like kind of the average white person. I just like to to me feels so fucking lame. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, and I think that that's our fault. You know, (laughs) it's just like you know, I mean, we get we get pretty we get silly cultural artifacts because we demanded to be on top and we continue to benefit from it. And so like khakis is the cross that we bear. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's like, and it, and it seems so silly when you put it like that, but um, I mean, I don't know. I think that, yeah, there's always that risk of like looking at other culture and like mining it for its interest. So we were stepping into talking about a little bit about fetishization. Mm-hmm. I can't even say it. Fetishization. Fetish, eh. I can't, I can't do it. I'm just screwed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of other cultures and sort of, I, I don't know, I was going into how I kind of, I don't know, in, in many ways, I'm sort of like abhor a lot of what white generic culture is like mm-hmm. and sort of, I don't know, and you were kind of talking about how, you know, I guess we're interrogating sort of like that's a position of privilege and mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you remember where, kind yeah. of where we're going? I with said, that? I said, I think specifically khakis is the cross we bear at the <laughs> right, top. Yeah. And it's like, it's real. Um, and I'm not going to say anything like unique or that interesting about this topic. I feel like because like the people of whom I've read for this, like who, who this affects like directly um, for people of color who like this affects directly are like a lot more articulate obviously yeah. about all this other stuff. And like, can speak more intelligently about it. But I just know that for myself, um, as a white person, it's like, I don't know. It's people get really tied up into, I include myself into this, um, like wanting to interact with 
popular culture or um, interact with their identity in lots of different ways and like really prioritize self-expression. And it's not like I don't, right? Like I, I also prioritize self-expression self as something that's important to leave room and space for. But I also think that like you don't do those things in a vacuum either. And it's like really critical to be careful. Like there's just like, it, it could be so easily summed up in, I mean, this is really simplistic because it is complicated and, and contextual and like nuanced. But if you were just careful and like thoughtful about like what you engage with and interact with and like are willing to own up to when you stepped into something that you shouldn't have or are willing to, you know, listen to people um, in multiple ways, like then you're probably going to find a much better way through all of that where you can, you know, authentically like dig into what you're attracted to and like what you're interested in and like self-expression while at the same time, like not throwing people under the bus in the process, because it's like, you know, what, what cost are you willing to pay, you know, for your own entertainment or interest is like something that's really hard. I think to like wrap right. the mind around. And it's like, um, for me, I'm willing to pay zero people cost, you know, like when it comes to that, like I yeah, am not willing sense. I am not willing to like hurt other people in the process, like in any way. And if I am, I like to be, um, I, I try to hold myself like to a very high standard of accountability with those sorts of things. Um, and if I fall short, make sure that I'm as open as possible to hearing that I am falling short. Um, and like m make sure that I am approachable and like not like that someone bringing that up to me wouldn't be like, wouldn't feel like hard, you know, or challenging. And so I think that, for me, that's the best way to kind of like orient myself because it's almost again like an operating system. Like I'm trying to like add a lots of like different like principles to like interact with these situations. Um, but as opposed to like my Christian upbringing, don't like to think of like a black and white rule about like what should or should not happen. It's like, you know, what should happen is I should remain responsive to the people around me. I should be open. I should be um, thoughtful and caring. I should act in a way that reflects that desire. You know, yeah. people, people shouldn't be harmed by my flippant choices, you know? And it's like, right. <laughs> like, yeah. And, it, and if I can act in a way in accordance with all of those things, then I think I'm probably headed in the right direction, you know? Interesting. Cause it's like, I, I don't want to feel chained to like this white, like hetero identity either. You know what I mean? Like that's a, like, why do I, like, do I have to be, do I just have to be lame? <laughs> well, <I think> that, <laughs> you know I think, what I mean? I think that there's like a... It's kind of a weird space, I think, to be in, to be someone who's like, I'm part of the most privileged, like, class of people, but, like, that's not... I, and, I mean, I do, re and I recognize that, but at the same time, it's like, that's not who I... Like, I kind of reject so much of it, as much as I kind of s sort of consciously can, like, I make an honest effort to, to do so... Mm -hmm and interrogate like this sort of difficult like I guess that navigate this weird kind of soup of like I don't want to offend other people like I understand like you know I understand that how that could be perceived like you know taking on someone's other cult cultural identity or like signs of their identity and and things like that that you know what I mean that that definitely could be a, kind of a I don't know. You know, a lot of people would say maybe that's like a mic. That's like a microaggression in it itself, is, yeah. right? Which I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like identity and all this stuff is very fluid, right? So I don't know. It's just a weird. It's a well, weird think, time to be. 
I think what it demands of you is to be a lot more creative, you know, and to not like accept prepackaged, um, especially the way that white culture like imports things, you know, into like a prepackaged idea. Like you go to like a restaurant where it's like Indian inspired or whatever. And it's like, it's very clear that like none of this was created or built with like the love, the culture, the history, right. like the magic, you know, of the culture that it's coming from. And it's like merely like really packaged for profit, you know, so that you can get like a hologram almost of like what this meant was meant to be. Um, yeah. and so there's like many ways to like interact with those things. But I think that if you're, if you're wrestling with questions of like, what do I do with like aesthetic or like identity or expression, I think it just demands that you be a lot more creative and intentional. Um, and as long as you're pushing yourself towards that, I think that you can find ways that are exciting and novel and like break you out of the mold while at the same time, like prioritizing people's safety. Cause I think, cause I think that, I think that, I think that, I think that, Weird. <laughs> uh, we're having all kinds of weird troubles. Tech issues today. All right, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Um. Because I think that like when you distill it down to like its most base rule, it's like you have to understand that you're prioritizing. There are times when we prioritize our comfort over over someone else's, True. and like our comfort over someone else's like safety, like cultural or like psychic safety. And it's like for me, I'm not willing to like I'm not willing to make that that pay that price like i'm not willing to like make others pay that price for me right. you know what i mean and so it's like I, I but i think that there are ways to go deeper without hurting anybody so or you know hurting people way less you know and like engaging because i mean there are i mean every culture has like an interior and an exterior and like um ways that you that that outsiders can like interact and like that is like a predetermined like consensual space like for interaction to happen and as long as you remain in the consensual space like you're not doing anything wrong you know what i mean it's like as long as you play by the rules that that other culture has like you know predetermined about like what is acceptable for consumption and what's not and like what is okay to interact with and what would be considered appropriation like there's no easy rule, you know, to apply to every culture about what that looks like. You have to engage and like be thoughtful and like interrogate in a way that is like honest, you know, and like digs deeper. But I'm even thinking of like native cultures in like Oklahoma, like um, there are some things that are not for external consumption, like headdresses and eagle feathers, but there are some things that are made for external consumption, like turquoise jewelry, you know, like it's, and like some, some types of moccasins like are okay to sell to white people, you know, right. they're not native. And it's like, and it's because there is the culture itself determined what is external and what is internal, you know, and like, what did you, what can you interact with? And what did you not earn a right to interact with? Because some of that, it's like deeply tied to like earned, you know, like an earned ownership. Yeah. Um, and so once you think about it that way, it makes it like, I think very clean for me, even though these things can't always be clean. It's like, it makes it a lot simpler, you know, and a lot easier to make that call. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, I'll give you another example um, of this kind of idea. Is I have a I have a friend that is a, a gay man, and he was at a gay club a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, he was having a good time, and there were some like a bunch of straight women had come that to the club that night, and were sort like they were dancing, and so there were some straight guys, and sort of he was sort of put in a position where he felt like ostracized in his own like mm -hmm. place, like this is a gay club, right, and. I don't know that like put him in a negative position or you know what I mean? It's kind of like 
do, do you get what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. he kind of felt like these people are trying to push in on my, this is kind of like my turf mm-hmm. a little bit. Oh, yeah. And it can feel a little bit threatening, which I totally, like, that idea makes a lot of sense for me. At the same time, it's like, I don't know that, you know what I mean? Is it, I don't know, that's such a weird kind of space, right? It's so, like, right. murky in terms of, like, are the straight people, are they intentionally, they're not really intentionally necessarily, like, trying to, I guess, take over your, I, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. dip into that world, but. But they do, you know, and and you, and you have to like accept that like maybe even sometimes by existing without even intentionally trying to hurt someone could hurt, you know what I mean? And like, so that means you have to be like more aware, you have to be like more on your game and you know, as a, as a, as a person, as a part of the gay community who has been in situations very much like that, where you're in bars and like you even go up and talk to someone and they're like, Oh, well, I'm straight. Like, this is gross. Like, why are you hitting on me? It's like, you're in a gay club. Like, what? <laughs> right. like, <laughs> like you cannot make me feel bad about this. You know? Right. It's, it's like, like this is like the small corner of this particular town where I feel or, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Even among, even among bars, like, right. There's only like the small percentage that is like one is kind of ca- right. Yeah. That is sort of carved out for the community. So definitely like, I definitely can see how that would be like feel threatened or like a microaggression in that sense. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I just think that like you have to be on better behavior than you think you should, you know, it's like you can, you can go to that space and you can dance and you can enjoy, but like you have to be on your best behavior. Like you don't get to just do whatever the fuck you want, you know, like you have to be, um, a lot more thoughtful and conscious of like how you're interacting in this space. And like, as long as you're doing that, like I've got no problem, you know, it's like, yeah, everybody dance, like it's not a big deal, but if you are going to be obnoxious or like very like you need everybody in the room to know that you're straight, it's like, okay, like you can go do that somewhere else. Yeah, like true. you can go have your straightness like completely 100% validated in and the like, front like in every any other, other bar. exactly any other venue, it's which like, is true. Why, why do you have to do that in my, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, why do you have to feel like you need to assert that here? Like right. there's, there's really no need for that. And, and if you feel so deeply uncomfortable that you have to, like, that's your problem. You know what I mean? Like you need to go, you need to go do some emotional work on that. Cause it's like not anyone else's responsibility. True. So it, so, and this is probably like, again, my sort of privileged viewpoint of like, I mean, I, I see the value of identity politics. I think, first of all, like just from a pragmatic standpoint, I mean, identity politics has been the only thing that's been fucking successful of, mm-hmm. of any kind. I mean, thinking back to like when I was a kid, the attitude towards like homosexuals and like that, like it, it's drastically changed over that you know we still have obviously a long way to go but i mean it has that's been probably the most um radical change that i think i've seen in my lifetime from a cultural standpoint is the more is how that has shifted like the homosexual community is way more accepted in main in mainstream american society than it ever was like it was Mm -hmm. and that wasn't that long ago you know and it's still yeah and it still is that way it's like I mean, I don't know. Like, I know that identity politics gets, like, both a good and a bad rap at the same time. And it's, like, um, you know, something that I can't say that I've never interacted with. Because it's, like, obviously I have done feminist organizing or, like, lesbian organizing. And, like, been involved with things that are related to, like, my identity. And I think for me, something that makes it more nuanced is to understand that, like, 
political strategy like so those are political strategies and it's like those can work in time and space for for a certain amount of time that may not work at a different point in time right or it may not solve all the problems and it may not encompass all the people that it could encompass and i was talking to one of my friends um who's a trans woman about this about how lesbian gay bisexual and transgender so like usually grouped into like one group right and it's like there's a lot of reasons for that and she and i both as lesbians have talked about like she's like yeah like we have a lot of shared interests because we're lesbians and like you can support me in terms of being a trans woman but there are a lot of things that people within the community demand that do not interact with me at all and like don't actually like push for my safety or like my what i think is politically relevant for me you know and so it's like people can often be even grouped, you know, from like the outgroup perspective and like forced into like a specific like subcategory or boundary and like forced to politically represent themselves and then realize that there's actually a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. And so it's just like, it, it's always complex. Like it's never simple. Um, I think for me too, like something that's really important is that like, I mean, I, I'm pretty vocal about identifying as a lesbian because I want to be known, you know, as that. And I also want to like bring together like lesbian community around me you know the only way for me to or not the only way but a way for me to establish lesbian community around me is to be vocal about that part of my identity right because like then you then you start to attract people who are like oh i have this in common with you you know then you then you start to understand commonality right even though me and another person both being lesbians maybe very different people and like want very different things right it's like we're 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 complex. Like it's not a one size fits all. Yeah, for sure. So it's like, those are all, those all interact with each other. And I think that it's important to like leave room for all of those things. It's also important to, um, when I'm thinking too about why I don't really like label myself as a feminist super often is because for me, I even break that down even further. And it's like, there's a way to act in a way that is feminist or to engage in feminism but once people say, oh, I'm a feminist, it's, it's often a way for people to be really comfortable, um, to make themselves super comfortable with being like, well, I'm a feminist, so I'm not bad about any of these things, or I'm not wrong about any of these things, or you can't criticize me for any of these things. Right. And it's like, it, it like lets you off the hook super fast and like super easy. And it's like, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. So I think that people do get really wrapped up in like labeling themselves like, well, I'm an anti-racist and like, I'm a feminist and like. I'm an activist. I'm right. liberal. I'm a Marxist. I'm yeah. yeah. And like, let me drape myself with these like identity categories that make me look better. You know, that make yeah. me make me feel better. Make like, yeah. There's like a virtue. Yes. A vir- like, like you know, then and that's like the right wing or alt right criticism is like this is all virtue sign- signaling. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think there is like, I think that can be. Yeah. That can definitely be a reality that right. people do or participate in right but that's like true of everything right like yeah that's true of every group like virtue signaling is like it, it is a is a problem for every group because that's the problem that language presents itself it's like once i call myself this does that mean i am that thing yeah like what what else do i have to do to prove that i am that thing you know like right. what is the set of behaviors yeah that that goes into that because i can say that i am honest but if i don't act honestly what does that mean right. you know and that's it's true. like that works for any word um and so it's just hard when people like kind of like constantly move the boundary or like move the goalpost right when it comes to things that are articulated about like an internal sensation like being gay for example it's like i didn't have to date a woman to call myself gay like that wasn't like that's true the requirement 
it right. was it was my own understanding in the way I I situate myself on the current like landscape, right? Like that is that's a political decision that I made. It's a social decision that I've made. Um, and it accurately reflects like things I feel internally and behaviors I exhibit externally, like having a girlfriend, you know what I mean? Like it's, but, but just be like, even if we were to break up, that wouldn't mean I suddenly wouldn't be a lesbian anymore. You right. know what I yeah, mean? That's true. So it's like, it's, it, it, it's just more complicated than people. <laughs> that, that, that's the, that, that's the headline for everything I say pretty much is like, it's more right. complicated than people think it is. Yeah, seriously. Um, I, just to like give you another example of kind of what I was, what I'm, talking about too is like i don't know maybe i'm just so full of shit maybe which is certainly possible but it's like i don't like i want to deconstruct all of these sort of categories and i'm i don't really give a fuck about the status quo and and whatnot so it's like i i would like i'll i'd wear a dress i'd wear Mm -hmm. some makeup in doing so like am i you know in, in many ways that's like i don't know i feel like if since I am a straight white man, if I'm adopting, if I'm trying to signal the, or like play with that identity aspect, like it is in some ways, like I could see how that would be considered as sort of a, like create resentment by someone who's had the actual like experience of like, this has been their identity since they were young and they were persecuted and they've been made fun of and Mm -hmm. teased and they've experienced, you know, any number of aggressions, but yet I'm like, I can freely do Mm -hmm. this without any consequences. Sure. I don't, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, it's puts me, I'm kind of like in this weird space between two worlds because I don't identify with mm-hmm. this like mass culture or like this, you know, generic identity, mm-hmm. but I don't have the, like, I don't have the experience that the like legitimate gay man in America has, even though like I can adopt the sort of like accoutrement mm-hmm. of them. Right. And I think that like, there's nothing stopping you, you know, from like, engaging with gender or like playing with it because I think that like we'd all be a little bit healthier if we like try you know what I mean like if we all like at least even left room open for like the idea that we could experiment in it like that to violate one of those things wouldn't mean like a destruction and annihilation of the self right but um I think that where you've run the run the risk that you're talking about is if you were to think that you were revolutionary for doing those things and if you were to position yourself as doing something brave or like amazing when it's just like, you know, that's more complicated, right? Yeah. You know, like it's, it's because for so many, I think so many people get burned by the idea of like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of myself from like, from my own perspective and like background about like what that could mean for me. Like, I don't know. Um, so many, uh, there's this idea that like for straight women, like, it's just complicated because like when they, when you know, if they were to say like, oh, I didn't wear makeup today and like that was just such an amazing thing. And it's like, well, kind of, yeah, because like society deems like women worthy when they look a certain way. Right. Yeah, and right. so like there is something there. Yeah. Um, but if they were to like not leave room and space for the fact that like plenty of women like go through life every single day you know, not upholding like femininity, like in the way that they do. Um, and right. they get denied womanhood like on the regular, like all the time. And like that, that's something that's like actually really critical to like to their safety and like critical to like their identity. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just more complicated when you like, when you break apart womanhood, like I can't speak about like what it would be like for men because you know, that's not my experience, but I think that, you know, just from what I can gather that it's, 
it's not that you can't do any of those things. It's just that you can't pretend that like you're the first or like that it's that it's like some sort of like earth shattering revolutionary thing. And, right. and, and to just like kind of like constantly be conscious of like even even for um, like gay men who do drag, you know, it's like you have to be extremely conscious of the ways that those those interact with like like denying like trans women's experiences and like, you know, that it's, it's just, you have to be a lot more responsible, you know, than, than just kind of like throwing it all out there and being like willy nilly and like not understanding that like, there's like a lot of responsibility that goes into doing those things. And like that you're going to probably step on someone's toes, you know? And it's like, like if you're cool with that and if you're cool with like accepting the consequences of that and like engaging with people and like getting feedback and like understanding like how it impacts them, um, then that's like one thing, right? You know, but if, if you just want license to like do whatever the fuck you want, like it's just like, you know, like you accept the consequences of that, which is that some people will be upset. You know, it's like, I think that, Sorry, these headphones are like Sorry. my head small. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I could go on and on and on about that. I think it's really funny that I always kind of like come back to the point where of like, you know, how do you interact with like the responsibility that you take on when you like make choices in the world and like interact with the world? And if you are willing to accept the consequences and know that some people may, you may not pay their price of admission anymore and they may be like, okay, like I don't want to associate with you anymore because of like X, Y, or Z, then like that is like people should be free to make that choice, you know? And it's like, they shouldn't be um, ostracized or like made to feel small for like needing to, you know, have a different price of admission, so to speak. Makes sense. But yeah, it's kind of, like I said, it's it's a weird spot to be in whenever you're like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, because it's like I sort of pride myself or at least like this idealized version of who I am in terms of like I'm accepting of anyone just about, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't look at people, I try not to look at people in these lenses of you're like a, an object you're because you're a woman and like I have to, you, I have to have this woman, she denotes this status and makes me, you know, makes me the masculine ideal or, mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know where I was going with that. But <laughs> I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit while I was right. going down that road. But yeah, it's just like, I don't want to look at people. I want to look at the individual. And I don't know, maybe that's like, is that playing into this sort of like, um, is that playing into the status quo, right? Is to like atomize us all as individuals. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want other, if other people are looking at me and they just see a white man, a white straight man, like that's not good either. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though that is my identity. And it's like, I was just born, you know, I was just born this way, just the mm-hmm. way that everyone else was born the way it's like. So it's like, I don't know. Sure. I mean, I think that for some like to take your second point first, um, like to feel what it feels like to just be kind of like labeled or categorized or like sectioned off as like a straight white man. It's like, you know, some people do so for their safety, you know, like because they, they know from experience that like for this, this person can cause them problems and cause them strife. And like for their safety, they need to act with like a little bit of trepidation. And like, that is, um, like informed by experience. And so it's like hard to like discount, Um, I think that 
people are both individuals and situated in groups and you can't separate the two. True. Um, I think that like you also have to understand that like bias informs your thinking, even if you try really hard yeah, not to. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, because you know, like we said, like we were born and baked into it. So it's like, oh, absolutely. it's as much as like the minute you think you're on top of it is the moment you're not. Right. And so that's true. That's probably the moment when you're going to fuck up and hurt someone's feelings. So <laughs> it's like the, that, so there's like this constant drive to like, there, there is no comfort, I guess. Like there is no comfortable place. Like you keep saying like, it's weird and like, it's a weird space to be in. I'm like, that's true. Like that is just true of the world. Like no one gets to occupy a comfortable space. Yeah. For some, they can insulate themselves a lot better because of identity and privilege and all that stuff. But no one is comfortable. Like that's kind of the point, right? Like with existence, with capitalism, with gender, with race, like no one gets to be comfortable. Some people insulate themselves better than others and can like ride on waves of comfort a lot easier than others um, to the at the expense of other people. Um, and like you just have to kind of like take the good with the bad because it's like, you know, while we didn't create the system as it stands today, like we are all unfortunately in some small way contributing to its ex continued oh, existence, like as long as we kind of like play along. And Very so, true. you know, that's why you have to kind of like just get comfortable with being uncomfortable, I guess, <laughs> and um, know that there is no answer. Like the answer you're seeking doesn't exist. And like the um, like the level of interaction that we would like um, is pretty far away from like where we are right now. And like to be able to just interact with individuals as individuals and not have all this shit in the way is possible but pretty far away from where we are right now and right so it's like maybe not in our lifetime maybe yeah. not in my 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 kid's lifetime you know what <laughs> i mean like it's it's it would take a lot more effort you know um from everyone to undo this not just a couple of people here and there right and, that, and that's like the whole i don't know i guess the project that i like envision is sort of this very intersectional movement of like we have to build like it's going to take all of us to really change things and i think that just the status quo in the world today is just a horrible horrible thing mm -hmm. and i think you know like you mentioned earlier like there are reasons there's reasons that this world exists and that we can we can fundamentally alter those those reasons and we can create a new world mm -hmm. right and we have to have a basis for that, for a broad-based political coalition to take action mm -hmm. and achieve the change that we want to see in the world. And carving it up into sort of everyone's different identity. I don't know how. Do, how do you build that? How, like, how do you build that broad consensus? And like, I mean, like, I keep going back to that idea of every human being undergoing some amount of existential. You know, we all we're born and we die and we suffer, all of us. Mm -hmm. Like, can we build a broad coalition based on on that mutual understanding across whatever your gender, sex, race, X, Y, Z is? Like, can we just can we see ourselves as human beings? I don't. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like we are. Yeah. Like, it's like we're. These categories are all fucking arbitrary bullshit. Like, it's if, if you change your perspective in a different mode let's say like i mean we all like if you looked at humanity outside of time then 
would you really see it? Or if you looked at all life on the fucking pl- planet Earth, for example, like if you looked at that on a long enough time scale, everything is the same. Everything is one particular substance, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you came, like if you looked at me, I would come out of my mother and my mother would come out of her mother mm-hmm. on back through the history of to like all the way back to the Big Bang, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is just a crazy mm-hmm. idea, but it's like we're all kind of one, everything is everything. Mm-hmm. Sort of mo. I guess that's like a, that's materialism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that um, when you speak about like building consensus and like broad political movements, like those are really hard because not everybody yeah. wants the same thing. Right. Like there are Nazis, you know what I mean? Like they don't want the world that we want. So it's like that already kind of like precludes us from like getting consensus. There, yeah, are, there are some people who true. feel that like the right way to go is for some people to be eliminated. Yeah. Like, and know? I mean, that's true. That's another area that gets super tricky and it's like you know my my, i guess i think antifa is a good concrete example of where things can get really like tricky with this particular thing where it's like i don't know it's like is is violence ever justified and is punch can you really like am i going to sit down with richard spencer and like have a logical debate with this no. guy and, and, and get him <laughs> on my side with sound reason and arguments? Probably not, right? No. At the same time, do I am sh- should he be like eliminated? Should he be killed? Like that's getting into really weird. You know what I mean? Is it okay to punch him? Uh, you know, and like that's where things start to get a really on shaky ground. I think. I mean, I think as long as you show up in the world as a as a Nazi, like you have to accept the consequences of those actions. Right? It's like. He could stop showing up in the world as a Nazi and then we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? So it's like he he makes a choice and like those people make a choice to like show up in the world in a way that it's like I want to eliminate others and so I don't blame other people for being like, okay, well then I have to, I, if, I'm, if my life is on the line, I need to fight for it. Like, you know, it's like very hard to tell someone they shouldn't do that <laughs> because like you wouldn't want someone telling you to, that you couldn't do that. Um, like, am I personally going to punch him? Probably not. <laughs> but like, I also understand that it's because I I occupy I occupy a place where I don't have to make that decision. Yeah, that's you know true. what I mean. And, and so it's like, um, like then I then I think back like, okay, I don't really I don't so I don't think I should really have an opinion on it. Like, it's not my place to have an opinion on it or to tell or like condemn other people for doing the right or the wrong thing, right? And so. Um, but, like, yeah, when it comes to, like, ideology and stuff like that, it's, like, he chooses to show up as an asshole and, like, as someone who wants to destroy others. And it's, like, okay, well, if you decide to show up in the world that way, like... Yeah, then you have to accept the consequences. You have to accept the consequences right. of that. And, like, that's that's on you, you know? Like, you don't... You were not born a Nazi. Like, you don't have to be one, right. you know? So it's, True. like, that that's that's your call, dude. <laughs> you know? like, um, I, just, I just think, the like, the opposite of it, being that someone like who would be a communist or socialist or leftist in that regard, like from the other perspective, like if, if, if communists were getting punched by, by alt-right people or by like whoever crazy person on the right, like, is that justified? I don't know. You know, it's a, it's a fundamentally different thing. I think your point is very good about like, he's talking about eliminating other people. I mean, we do, there are Marxist, Leninist people that do, you know, want a violent overthrow Mm -hmm. revolution to suppress the bourgeoisie. Like there are those people that are okay with that. Mm -hmm. 
so is that is it justified to punch them as well you know what i mean so like that's that's so tricky with that kind of stuff mm-hmm. especially because i don't like i said i don't identify with the status quo it's like i want to end capitalism and and create a more just and and egalitarian society where people aren't restrained by this like bullshit <laughs> Mm-hmm. consumption for consumption's sake and like devaluing other people and, and you know basically enslaving other people so that we can live great here in the u.s you know mm-hmm. yeah i mean a lot of people would say that like and, and i'm persuaded by a lot of these things that like we're not it's going to take something really big to like shake that off yeah and for a lot of people they interpret that to mean violent you know what i mean like it's going to take something really massive to like wake literally everyone because literally everyone has to wake up at the same time you know what I yeah. mean? and so like what would it take to do that and you know something really intense and extreme is like typically what people move toward um as far as like what that would take um because slowly engaging with everybody piece by piece and rationally getting them to like one side or the other takes time you know and yeah. it's like and also like probably not gonna happen you know right. for everybody and so like we have to understand like kind of the task in front of us is a lot bigger um than everybody just like voting for Bernie Sanders. You yeah, know what I mean? I mean like we, it's like, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a lot it's a lot harder than that. It's a lot harder than that. We have to fundamentally alter our institutions and structures or it's just going to keep creating these same people and that's why like like you're saying electoral politics doesn't really mean much when it's the entire system. Like, it's like Trump is not some aberration at all. Like, I don't, in my opinion, I don't think he's an aberration. I think no, he is. A, like a logical conclusion he is of ab- where we've been going. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> absolutely. He's the definite, exactly that. So it's like, yeah, we can vote him out, but there's just going to be another right-wing person that pops up in his place that really ultimately believes most of the same things. And I was listening to someone was, uh, I think, an NPR a journalist was questioning Paul Ryan the other day mm-hmm. and talking about Trump and XYZ. And he was like, well, you know, I just, I see a president that's uh, fighting for a lot of the same things that I, that I'm fighting for. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're goddamn right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Like he, I don't think he realized yeah. what he really said. You right. know what I mean? It's right. like, yes, you're absolutely fucking right. And that's my critique of the, of the right is that, this is they yeah they've tried to like they use trump as a cover but right this trump is them unmasked he's them without like the like little kid gloves on this is like what the right wing ultimately is by and large Mm -hmm. and like wants you know yeah absolutely they they think that because he's just like socially distasteful and like just like kind of like rude and gross that like you know that would stop us from like looking at like the political implications of like what he's doing and it's like trump is like scary like for sure but like who is he making room for you know what I mean? yeah like, that's, that's the like, really creepy that's, part that's the someone who's scary. like imagine i mean like but even even to go back to obama i mean obama was very much like very professionally and oh you know yeah. but ultimately he continued the same policies that yeah. you know that's even he was arguably even more efficient Dr- like. <laughs> right drone strike drone yeah. strikes he did you know what i mean none of the no f- nothing fundamentally changed it was the same same shit that we've had right so even electing that just i guess goes to show that elect we're beyond solving this by just electing mm-hmm. 
one person. Like this has got to be a systemic oh, no, change. Yeah. Bot- this has got to be a bottom up change. It's not right. top down. No, just isn't going to work. We're not going to elect someone who's going to fix really anything. Yeah. Like, and and I mean that's what's so hard is that what that's what is like available to so many people in our country is just like oh I want to be like politically engaged that means I want to engage with like voting and like I want to engage with candidates and with parties and it's like not like you shouldn't or like you can't but you just can't pin all of your hopes onto that because they actually you know can only steer this enormous ship you know like one degree in either direction um when it comes if to like they those want, really it, if yeah, they even want to, they to want begin to, with <laughs> when, when it comes to these like really fundamental questions right but i mean obviously some people in power like create like very quickly much more dangerous situations for some people That's than true. others and so it's like important to understand that like yeah like trump and paul ryan are like on the same page but and like they and i mean so is mike pence like you know He's also terrifying. Like, you know, if he, <laughs> if Trump were to get impeached or something were to happen and, like, Mike Pence were to take over... He's almost more terrifying than he me. He is, because he's also, like, more effective and, like, not as much of a dumbass. Uh. And so it's, like, he he can get more things done than Trump because Trump's so much more concerned with his ego than he right. is with anything else. But there are some people who, like, play the long game, like Pence, who can see, like, the thing in the future that he wants to create right. and can, like, lay down the bricks to get yeah. there. Um, and then, you know, Trump's, like, way less effective, but they're on... They do the same... They want the same things. For and sure. so it's, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard. Like, it's really, really hard because... I don't know. There are some things... There are definitely some things that would like engage me enough to like maybe uproot my life like in a really big way to like throw down for. <laughs> Be like, no, like you don't get to send gay kids to conversion therapy. Like that's not a thing that we're gonna do anymore. And like right. you don't get to ban abortion. Like that's not like that that creates like an incredibly unsafe society um where people die. And it's like I'm not gonna let that happen. You know, it's like I wanna do everything I can in my power to not let that happen. And yeah. so it's like it, I don't know. I guess we all have our like limit, you know, where where that's gonna and and it's hard because like our society is so good at like medicating you like along the way so that like you, in like anesthetizing you to everything so that you don't pay attention and like you don't you don't notice that the water temperature is turning up yeah. while you're the lobster in it. You know, absolutely. <clears throat> I was listening to a podcast the other day and um, they had a former DSA member on. I don't know if you're Mm-mm. familiar with the DSA, so the Democratic Socialists of America. And he was talking about how, <clears throat> at least from his perspective, the progr- their project was ultimately to focus on, they're not even worried about like sent like a state, uh, not a, like they're worried about the state legislature and like the local city council, like, county governments like up to that level not even like you know someone like john cornyn or ted cruz that's like a state you know they're a senator u.s senator right Mm -hmm. they're not even focusing on like that level they're focusing on local action which i think is that's like yeah horizontal power Mm -hmm. and they were and i think this might be going on you have to check on the austin dsa chapters twitter feed or, Mm -hmm. or facebook group but they're this is something that started um, they're like fixing taillights for people. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of something that I'd like to get involved in is doing mm-hmm. like, you know, a sort of a left, a leftist movement that is doing things that is like, let's demonstrably help people 
the people that we want to help, right? Mm-hmm. Let's do some like pract- praxis mm-hmm. by showing people this is what we're about instead of like, oh, here's our platform. Mm-hmm. Here's what we're going to do for you, right? right? Let's like actually, let's feed the homeless together. Let's let's go like pick up trash in the green belt or like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Something like that. Right. Like actually get your hands dirty. Exactly. That's that you want to see done. Yeah, exactly. On a, on a daily basis. Right. And use that. That's kind of the like, that's the movement that we need ultimately. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, do you have any final thoughts? We're coming up on about two hours. I don't want to take up your oh, whole yeah. afternoon. I feel, like that's, I feel like that's probably <laughs> all I got in me today. All right. Um, I'm going to go home. I'm just like thinking about like what small thing am I going to do today to like wrestle with the system? And I don't know that this <laughs> is really anything at all. But today I put up a Christmas tree with my gay girlfriend. <laughs> big gay Christmas tree. We kept calling it the big gay Christmas tree. You call it Christmas too? That's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's a war holiday. on Christmas. You didn't holiday. know there was a war on Christmas? I didn't. Aren't you trying to destroy Christmas? It's so funny that there's like such a war and yet we get that day off every year. (laughs) I'm like really confused about that. Um, But anyway, (laughs) like, um, no, we're, we're deciding to spend the holidays together um, instead of going back to our respective families because that's not always like a happy decision or a happy time (laughs) for either of us. And so, I mean, it is what it is. Like we both love our families, but it's, it's hard. Um, It's not simple. Um, I can't, go home to like her family because like that's not acceptable interesting Um, so that's crazy we are we're doing it we're doing it our own way this year which i really love and i'm really excited about um and right before i left to come over here she and i put up the tree and like we're putting lights on it and then she's like well i'm gonna decorate it really really good and then when you come back you can fix it (laughs) i was like okay i'm really excited to go home and see what she came up with (laughs) but yeah so, but thanks for having me on again, Cooper. I really appreciate your vote of confidence in, oh, my, of course. Well, in uh, my, my speaking good skills. Like so. I said, you, you talk so good, Jennifer, <laughs> you know, I want to uh, have you, you on know, anytime, anytime you want to come a, talk. Just get a glass of iced tea and then we'll <laughs> just, tea? just shoot Sweet tea? Yeah. But yeah, uh, this was actually, I it, it actually turned into a better conversation that I even, I knew it was going to be good no matter what, mm-hmm. but it actually turned out better than I even could could have hoped. I love the like organic direction that everything took mm-hmm. and really flow act, flowed actually pretty well. Awesome. Surprising. Cause I was a little bit worried. It was like, oh, I don't know what the focus exactly right. is going to really be. Have, like, a plan. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we kind of loosely plan, but we, so I think it turned out really well. Well, good. So. And I'm glad. I hope that everybody enjoys. Love having you on, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. All right. Awesome.